The information and opinions presented in this Arc Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the Arc Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the Arc Energy Ideas podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Tertzakian. Welcome back. So we're heading into summer. I'm looking at my app here. I'm generating seven and a half kilowatts of energy on my solar panels. How are you doing? Okay, I'm just slightly under that, Peter. Okay. So you're winning today, but I've been pretty impressed, you know, as we're getting into Mm -hmm. uh, June, we're in June now, solidly, we're getting really huge production off our solar panels, obviously a lot different than the winter. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot different than the winter, but it's pretty impressive and uh, satisfying. In fact, actually, you talked about the benefits of solar, home solar, in a recent Global Mail article. Yeah, so my article, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes, is blackouts could drive a return to home solar. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came out the same weekend as that storm that caused the long power outages in parts of Ontario. You know, some people were out like two weeks, a very small number of people, but huge power outages that lasted a long time. Now, I didn't write it just that weekend. I'd actually done it before, so the timing was kind of interesting. But it definitely got a lot of attention because Mm -hmm. of that. And it's been a bit counterintuitive because a lot of people think, well, why would you drive an electric car if there's going to be blackouts, you won't be able to get anywhere. But I'm arguing that uh, the combination of electric car and a few other factors are really going to cause yeah. home solar to take yeah, off. Yeah, those sorts of things. Well, it's not being off-grid, it's actually no-grid. So the benefits of home solar really kick in in that. And we want to talk about that. We want to talk about that today. And we are delighted to have a couple of special guests. We have Gersh Ball and Kai Ferrion from Zeno, previously Virtuoso Energy, and we've invited them because they actually were the contractors who installed our solar panels. And what better time to talk about home solar than in the summer? So welcome. Thanks for having us, Jackie. Thanks for having us, Peter. Yeah, thank you for having us. Okay, well, congrats on your new name. Is it Zeno or Zeno? Honestly, it's either or. We wanted to just simplify things and make it so it was much more accessible than our previous name, which was Virtuoso. Even though Virtuoso in itself is a beautiful name, it was pretty hard for a lot of people to spell. Hmm. Okay, and does it have a meaning? Yeah, absolutely. Zeno to us actually correlates back to Zeno of Ilya. And it was the individual who's considered the founder of Stoicism. And Mm. why that was important to us is because individuals that choose to go solar in Canada are making more or less of a Stoic decision. Now, for those who aren't familiar with Stoicism, from our perspective, it's individuals who choose to take the gifts that they've been given and use them for the betterment of society and not focus on the things that they don't have. And fundamentally, that's what living sustainably really is. You don't have to go solar, Mm -hmm. but if you choose to go solar, it is a Stoic decision and you're making the community that you're living in a better place to be. Mm -hmm. Well, the Stoic movement goes all the way back to, what is it, ancient Greece? Yeah. Yeah. But well, we're talking geography. What geographies does Zeno operate in here in Canada? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we currently operate in Western Canada with head office in Calgary and then an office in Edmonton as well. So we're able to service all of Western Canada from there. Give us a sense of your market share. When you think about all the residential in the areas you serve, about what percentage of residential solar are you installing? It's an interesting question because when it comes down to market share, it's a combination of what are you seeing go up in relation to who's got the best information? So how we analyze that is based on what our distributors are telling us and the suppliers and manufacturers are telling us for the products that we're getting. And a lot of the time, we're the number one purchaser of solar panels with a number of different organizations. So residentially speaking, we might be the largest installer 
in Alberta and potentially in Canada by volume. Hmm. So for a typical solar installation, let's sort of get right down to the details as we talk about some of the themes. How many panels go on a roof, a typical house? Typically, you're looking at about 20 panels. That'll offset the average home usage, depending on, again, what way your roof is facing, what the angle is, and everything like that that we take into account. But yeah, most of the time, you're looking at 20 panels can easily offset a home. And then depending on if you have an electric vehicle, you can then add panels as well to take care of that. And we do do that when we're looking at the consulting of the system. We look at what does the future look like for the individual of the home and how can we kind of future-proof that for them. Okay, and then for a typical installation, I know there's lots of escalation in your in every business right now, but in general, what would people be paying for the installation at, at that typical size? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question as well. So the average system size right now is about $15,000, and that's after a $5,000 federal grant, which is through the Greener at Home grant from the federal government. So Okay, good. Well, that hasn't has that changed a lot because of all the, we hear about all the inflation in terms of uh, all the inputs to solar panels and how hard they are to get. So supply chain has been an interesting one for us. Um, we've been dealing with it and kind of hedging it as much as possible. So looking ahead, usually about, we're looking 12 to 18 months ahead when it comes to the markets. Cost-wise, it hasn't changed too much. We've been able to keep that cost controlled just because we're able to, like Gersh said, work with our distributors, work with our suppliers on direct relationships. So it hasn't been a big impact for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and we love data. So the exact number for our average cost of solar installed this year is $19,538 as of this morning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 538, not seven, right? That's right. Okay, Okay, so 20 grand ballpark, that's still a fair amount of change for the average homeowner, even even if it's 15 with the federal subsidy. So you're talking to the end home consumers. What is their motivation to install solar? What's the number one and two reasons? Generally, there's three reasons that we find for the majority of our demographic when they're making their decision to go solar. The first one, control their energy costs. That's always the non-negotiable piece. The second one is environmental footprint. And the last one is tech. We get a lot of clients that are just want, you know, the best mm-hmm. gadgets on their house, things of that nature. As you guys did at the start of the conversation as well, too. Once you go solar, everybody starts to compare their production. Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge portion of our clients that want it just for the sake of having that ability. Yeah, the ability to have control over your energy. It's a little bit metaphorical to the old days where you look out the window and see how much wood you have stockpiled and sort of you get comfort in terms of uh, the winter that's coming. You sort of look at your app and see how much you're generating and you know that if uh, there's issues, you have some backup there. But the, the tech certainly is a motivator, but I think as Jackie's pointed out, there's a security issue as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that, but I know a lot of our listeners are interested in this. For that typical system that you described, if you were just to base it on the value of reducing your power bill, about how many years would it take to get a payback? That's when your savings equal that initial capital investment. Right now, you're looking at about 7 to 10 years. It has a 40-year lifespan and then a 25-year guaranteed warranty lifespan on the module. So really, really good process overall and you're able to pay it back really quickly compared to what the lifespan of the system is. Yeah, the the difficulty with solar is you can dive as deep as you want. If you look at it from a general playing field like I had mentioned, that's a fair number to go with. But if you start factoring in, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting, is if you start factoring in property value increase, the ability to sell carbon offsets, which isn't available in every market, but in Alberta it is. Are you planning on charging Hmm. your electric vehicle with solar? 
Is there some other sort of mechanism, maybe even a heat pump that you're utilizing that energy for versus using traditional Hmm. forms of energy? You can start adjusting that Hmm. a significant amount, but being conservative is better if we stay away from those from a general standpoint. Well, and I think it's important after you got that payback, it's kind of free electricity on an annual average basis from that point forward for the life that you have the panels. Mm -hmm. I do want to say, actually, I want to thank one of our listeners who, when we talked about electric car charging last time, I talked about the fact that I'm charging up at night and the person like contacted me to inform me that, you know, if I have solar, I should be charging during the day because I'm basically getting half price power. Um, And so I've totally changed my charging. And I think that is, I haven't done the calculation yet, but that will shorten my payback because now all the electricity going into our car is going to be half the price of what it would be otherwise. say two and three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. When you yeah, get you have to do it when you're home. But we don't yeah. charge every day. No, and a lot no, of times no, we are home no, yeah, when we have yeah. solar production. Yeah. Hey, I want to pick so. up on this idea that you mentioned about house value. I haven't talked to any real estate folks, but have you talked to real estate people? Is a solar panel add to the resale value of the house? If I spend $15,000 on a house, am I going to get it back because somebody's going to pay me a $15,000 premium on top of the, the regular house value? Is that... Yeah, generally it can be looked upon that way. There's there's a few different mechanisms when it comes to selling a home that are enabled once you have solar. One is the apples to apples conversation. You, a lot of the houses that are going up in Alberta right now or even in Canada in general are cookie cutter, right? You're going into these developments. If one house has solar and the other house doesn't have solar, that value proposition of moving into a house with less utility bills is becoming extremely enticing. So that's mm-hmm. that first piece. That itself doesn't necessarily have a dollar value. It just says, hey, this house has solar, this one doesn't, you might as well go with this one. Yeah. The second layer though, when we're talking to actual realtors and we have case studies as well too of homes that have sold with solar on them, generally we'll go anywhere from three to 5% higher in value in relation to homes in the area. But there is a cliff with that as well too. If you have a house that's over $650,000 or $700,000, that percentage is going to sure. shrink a fair of amount. Yeah. 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 But you're able same. to recuperate the value for solar for sure. All right, well, let's talk about my article. So one limitation that we've both found with solar, well, Peter, maybe not so much because he has a power wall, but is generally the solar's there in the day, like I can charge my car in the day, but at night I'm dependent on the grid for my power because uh, there's nothing coming off my solar panels. And the solution to that is to put a a battery system in your home. And Peter, I think you're pretty rare. I don't think too many, you've you've done that, but not a lot of people in Alberta have done that. Would that be the case? That is the case. We are seeing a fair increase in it though. And it comes down from the conversation that, is this economical? Does this make sense for me to do this on my home? And it can be if you're in the right situation. What we ultimately end up saying with batteries, and this is just the nature of where they are right now, is it only takes one blackout for that system to pay itself out. That's kind of the the known in the industry. But the other scenario where the batteries actually start to make a lot of sense is what does your lifestyle look like? Are you over-consuming and are you in a situation where you need more capacity? Are you able to set it up so it reduces your overall energy consumption in the home so that you can add more things? So batteries themselves aren't necessarily fully unlocked. The other major issue that we see with batteries right now is availability. In our supply chain, solar panels aren't as big of a deal. The racking isn't a big deal. Charging stations are. It's the batteries that we have the greatest difficulty of getting our hands on. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, ba- but but here's the thing. You can get a battery in an electric car, right? Yeah. That's a workaround. Yeah, yeah. the F-150, the Ford F-150 that's coming out, uh, the new pickup truck that's all electric. The Lightning, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to have a bi-directional mode. And so talk about that. How does that alter how you wire up the power electronics in the house? It doesn't really change much. The, the reason being is that 
these vehicles, the battery packs that are in them are significantly bigger than what you would get out of, let's say, a power wall or the solar edge battery pack. It can be anywhere from like four to eight times larger. So when you talk about, let's say, the Ford Lightning charging a typical home, so let's say anywhere between 14 to 1600 square feet above grade, it has the potential to back that house up up to 10 days if the loads are dedicated to certain, like certain circuits, loads are dedicated. Certain circuits, like your refrigerator. like Exactly. Your... But if you take it the whole house, usually it's three days. Mm-hmm. And if you have solar on top of that, it's not just three days, it's three days plus the solar's ability to keep charging that battery up mm-hmm. over and over again. So you're so. saying basically that I'm personally behind on my technology already. There's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. But the nice thing is you have a collector's edition Tesla, the Powerwall, right? So, I do, yeah. So there's a good chance that that might be worth more money. So okay. maybe you'll make something off of it. Sell the Tesla, buy a Ford 150. So. Well, yeah. you know, I think the Tesla is going to have that. In fact, I was just reading that they're doing a pilot somewhere in the U.S. of mm-hmm. the bi-directional. That, that is coming. But this is actually what got me to write the article is right now, if the power were to go out, I can't actually use the power off my roof because I don't have a battery. But then I'm sitting there thinking, well, I have this massive battery sitting in my car right here. And the F-150 got me thinking what a value that would be for people, especially as we're seeing more extreme weather Mm -hmm. uh, and more outages. I think more and more people, especially if you've already bought an electric car, it's kind of like a free option now to be able to back up the power in your home. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you need some resiliency. So why wouldn't you add solar at that point so that it it Mm enables you to go many days if if the uh, power is out? And, And I did a little math. Like if you think of the value of these vehicles just on their battery, they're almost like for free. So the F-150 Lightning, that 100 kilowatt battery, if I were to price it out like the Tesla wall is the equivalent Mm. price, it would be about $80,000 US to buy that much battery storage. And so that's kind of what those cars are retailing for. So it's almost like a free battery of that size that you're getting in the vehicle if you value that. And Mm so next time the power goes out, and you're, if you are someone who has an electric car, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, well, why am I not accessing that energy? Right. Well, let's carry this one step further, though. The utilities that supply the home. So how are they thinking about this? Because ultimately, if a lot of people put solar on their roofs and they have battery backups and so on, it means less and less electricity purchased from the grid. And so we're taking market share away from the centralized utility. So h- how are they thinking about this? That's a really interesting question because fundamentally, anytime we do anything as an organization, and the reason I want to start there versus diving into the utilities perspective is it's all about the end user. And the scary thing about the direction that we're heading in where energy demands are higher than ever before, and they're constantly increasing, energy prices are higher than ever before, and they seem to be increasing, hopefully we'll see some stability there, is that the end user is suffering. There's people who can afford solar and people who can't afford solar. Uh, But the reality is there's a fair amount of people who can't afford their electricity bills. So the utility companies are starting, I hope, to look at this from the perspective of we need to do something either way. If we don't do something that's affordable, which solar is for the utility company because it costs them nothing to, you know, reduce the burden on the grid, then they're going to end up in a situation where they have people, you know, storming Mm -hmm. the barn in a sense. There's going to be really angry people. So it's not that solar is a threat to them. It's a necessity. And that's Mm. why we always, the running joke that, not I guess it's not even a joke, but the running thing that we say, and ironically enough, this ties back to Zeno, ties back Mm -hmm. to Greece, ties to democracy, is that solar is the most democratic form of energy that we currently have available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So basically, each home becomes a micro utility that is part of the mesh of the total grid central utility. It all works together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about 
solar being financially viable and environmentally viable. The one layer that's generally missed is it's socially viable, is that when you have that extra energy, and you guys just mentioned that, you know, at the start of the show that you have a certain amount of energy being produced, maybe only 15% of that is going to your house right now and the rest is going to your neighbors. So that's that big community aspect is that your neighborhood now has less burden on it and less requirement from Mm -hmm. the big wire lines that are coming into those areas. So you're doing as I, I hate to I hate to put in these words, but I think it makes sense. You're almost doing a community service. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at my app, and actually, I just noticed 74 percent, is three quarters of the electricity I'm producing is going back into the grid. If that's mm-hmm. the case in your house, is you know that size, and the houses next to it are the equivalent mm-hmm. size, then that's fair to say three of your neighbors are also powered by solar right now. Mm. Right. Yeah, and actually, it, the guy across the street, he def, he has uh, he has a solar panel. Yeah. So the whole block, there you go. (laughs) Well, and when people talk about electric cars and the burden it's going to be when everyone plugs in the cars and what what that's going to do in terms of the need to increase the capacity of the distribution system, I'm thinking, well, if you just got everyone to get solar and you created price incentives that almost exist today that you charge off your own solar, Mm -hmm. it could reduce the burden and the cost Mm -hmm. to society Mm -hmm. for for electric cars being rolled out. Hey, but before we get onto that, though, I wanted to ask you— now, this F-150 is very new. Like, I don't even know that you can get one today, but and they're probably a big, long lineup for them, if, even if you can. But are you starting to see early signposts that consumers are interested in this? Like, people that have solar already or that have bought an EV are, are asking you about how they can install a system like this? Yeah, a lot of people are looking into it. The F-150, I think, is going to be personally one of the game-changing vehicles just because electric vehicles are something that trucks are kind of a big staple here in Alberta, for example, people want to have a truck. And so I think the F-150 is going to be that driver. We've had people reach out to us a lot about it and people that already have orders about it. One of the things with us is that we look at the whole system beforehand. So rather than just take it into account and saying, hey, you're getting a solar system, we look at, okay, what is three years, what is five years down the road look like? And can we integrate these solutions into it as well? So the F-150 side of things, it's a fairly easy tie-in point to what's already installed in their home to be able to get that backup system. So it's just like a automatic transfer hmm. switch that they can have that home backup from the EV, which is the truck itself. All right. And I do think other manufacturers are going to come out with that. I think this is going to create the competitive pressure to start to see it in other electric car models mm-hmm. as well. Are you guys involved at all now in microgrids, like more than just one household, like community level solar installations? Yeah, the conversation's been more rampant than ever before when it comes to microgrids. We work with quite a few builders across the province where like large volume builders that are doing like 500 plus homes a year. And one of them, I won't, I won't name them just because of, uh, you know, obviously sure. making sure that the yeah. name is maintained. They're having conversations about developing their communities with microgrids right out of the gate. The conversation comes back down to two things. It's always a relationship between battery storage and solar, but we are navigating through the waters of make it ready for batteries, but take the solar into consideration centralize the actual array versus doing it over multiple properties and go into the volume perspective and and reduce the overall materials, the burden and things of that nature, whether it be, you know, a centralized carport where that has bifacial solar panels that allows a certain amount of light to come through so children can play outside during the summertime. Because let's be realistic as well too, like last summer was scorching hot. It wasn't okay for children to be outside in the weather. And because of our altitude, it's also not safe from the UV standpoint. So there's a lot of conversations being had about centralized areas that are safer to play because of solar. So we're seeing some pretty interesting stuff happen. Okay, so to be clear, so you would basically build a uh, a, a solar in the park of a community 
but almost cover the park, but you'd actually get some solar through it so that people would have some sun, but not the intense sun. Yeah, bifacial solar panels generate energy on both sides. So there's the front side of the panel, which is, you know, if it's a 400-watt panel, it'll generate that. On the back side, it'll generate an an additional 15% with light that's hitting the ground and basically reflecting or refracting underneath. Um, And those panels will allow about 20% of the normal light through but it's scattered because it's going through the panel. So it's nice and bright underneath still, but the benefit is Mm -hmm. is that the direct UV light's not hitting you, so it's cooler, uh, and and it provides a lot of additional benefits, like snow off the ground, so those outdoor play areas can be used uh, around. And these systems aren't necessarily too hard to develop, and they can be installed over large, large areas. Now, that does seem like a groundbreaking thing, but this has been happening all over the world for a fair amount of time. The UAE and other areas in Central Asia have been doing it for a long time because they need to. It's a lot hotter there. They've had a lot of these considerations that we haven't had until recently. So there's a roadmap that can be copy and pasted here quite easily that we utilize. Mm-hmm. So I have a question because um, Peter and I had a debate about this, but I was thinking, well, if everyone starts to get their EVs and their solar panels to create more resiliency, it would make sense to sort of connect up more homes. And you're telling me maybe even a central area to create more solar production. And there'd be huge savings because I looked at my power bill and over half my power bill is non-energy charges. So if you could actually do that and then go off, not need the utility anymore, you know, there could be huge savings there, right? The paybacks could be much faster. But I guess I think that probably could happen in the southern U.S. where you have maybe more reliable solar. But up here in Canada, because of our winters, I just don't know if that's going to be possible. To go uh, off grid completely. To go off grid completely, yeah. Yeah, and that's where the conversation is always really interesting in our area. We use the term like over the balance of a year is where solar really makes sense if you're grid tied. When you're not tied to the grid, though, that's where the interesting conversation comes around, like renewable natural gas or things things that might actually make more sense today. But solar in itself, it was, it was a standalone mechanism in the area that we're in off-grid without any sort of battery support or the ability to have a generator kick in in those really, you know, short days becomes a difficult conversation. Now, the interesting thing is we we look at a calculation called days of snow on the ground. In Calgary specifically, it's anywhere between like 70 to 85. And those are the days that you have to keep a little bit of focus on. So when you're talking about these centralized areas where you have microgrids, it just comes down to having a good maintenance team on hand, being able mm-hmm. to make sure those systems are cleaned. And then also having some sort of supplementary backup that might only kick in anywhere from like 25 to 35 days a year. Hmm. Okay, so you might have a gas generator that backs up in the winter. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Right. Really, 75. I mean, most people think it's like 275. <laughs> Edmonton's is bad, and Toronto's is actually right around 70 as well, too. It's an interesting weather hmm. note that most people aren't aware of, but yeah. it's readily available online. But southern Alberta is one of the sunniest places in Canada. In fact, I think it is. Yeah, and even for panel efficiency, because yeah. of our altitude, the cooler temperatures, yeah. uh, a pan, like a solar panel here in optimal conditions is mm-hmm. top 20 in the world for performance. Right. So, okay, yeah. I sense we're getting our audience sort of excited about this whole thing, but at the end of the day, I come back to how does the average family find 15 grand, 20 grand to spend on this thing? Surely there's got to be some financing options that are potentially emerging out of this, isn't there? Because especially in today's environment of high inflation, how do you put groceries on the table? Like, is it just like, it's not like 15 grand's lying around. No, it's, it's definitely not. And there's three different methods that we recommend. And a lot of the times, actually, we, we're, I, I suppose we're known for this with our clients. 
if they don't have the money and they're tight on bills, we try to advise them otherwise. And, and it's just because we want to protect the consumer at the end of the day while simultaneously protecting the industry. But when we're looking at the opportunity that exists right now, we work with a few different banks. One of the ones I'll name here that's done an excellent job in the industry is ATB. Hmm. So they do prime plus 2%. It's over 15 years. It can be paid down at any single time. And generally what happens with that, that specific plan that ATB offers, the savings from solar are greater than the cost of the financing. So they end in a net positive situation. Hmm. In some cases though, if a system you know, doesn't have the right exposure, let's say it's north facing, for example, or predominantly east facing with a little bit of a north, it won't work out. We're talking about systems that have good consideration east southwest exposure or just south exposure that's where we come in we do those mm. designs and help out but those systems are achieving greater than parity the second layer is we, we found some interesting data there's a lot of individuals that have lines of credit that are available that aren't being utilized depending on obviously we've had some increases recently in rates that's another good option as well too where if somebody's not utilizing that but you know they have a bill that's unavoidable that that can be utilized by solar and the last one which is the third one which is our favorite is leasing so there's a really huge movement in the United States and other countries across the world, which we're going to be seeing here in Canada soon, where getting behind it as well is rather than having a conversation with an individual of saying, hey, give me your money, it's, hey, just give me access to your roof. You don't have to pay for the equipment. You don't have to put any money up front. You don't get all the savings, mind you, but you don't have to have any risk on the front end. We just need to use your roof. We want to install solar on it and we share the benefits of the system once it's producing energy and selling back to the grid. Well, and that's interesting because I, I mentioned that in my article because I did a bunch, you know, I mm -hmm. love listening to the podcast, Peter. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to these podcasts about Europe and the U.S. and people are talking about zero down leasing. And uh, that that's not available here today. But you're saying that, that you think that's something that will come fairly soon. And I think that would make a big difference because if it's zero down and then you just sort of pay the payments based on your savings, I think that is a lot more acceptable to a lot more people. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it a lot easier. So what about, uh, why don't I tackle some of the myths or questions that we sort of get? Okay, uh, if it hails, it's going to shatter the solar panels. Is that true? So yeah, that's not true. Um, when it comes to the panels themselves, they have a class four rating. So they can take hail for about three to four hours, golf ball size at about 100 miles per hour. So super heavy hail. We actually, a good example of that was three years ago when there was that huge hailstorm in the Northeast. We have a bunch of systems there and we actually had a big commercial system there mm -hmm. um, and only one panel was shattered and it actually came down to a manufacturer defect mm -hmm. and that was the, i think it was the third worst hailstorm we've had in canada's history so it was pretty impactful um so yeah that's not something okay. to worry about um if i drill a bunch of holes in the roof to put the brackets on to put the solar panels on the brackets uh, my roof is going to start leaking yeah, another another common one. No, so when we do the footings, it's an engineered system. So depending on what type your roof is, for example, we'll take yours. Yours was a metal roof, so it's a seam mm -hmm. clamp solution. Mm -hmm. It actually clamps right onto the seam, so yep. that's no penetrations. Then when it comes down to the penetration side, it's a it's actually a system that's fully engineered that goes into the roof and uh, and pretty much, yeah. There's no way that anything can leak, and we back that with our warranties as well. Well, that's an important thing because there was a lot of drilling going on. I have to tell you when ours was getting installed and I'm like, <laughs> they're putting holes in my roof. But there isn't, not every installer has that. So I think that's something important for people to consider. So maybe just explain that. Like you should be asking people if they're insured for, for what? A big one is making sure that their WCB is something that you have to have in Alberta to be an operating company. But pretty much that they're looking at what are the products that they're using, that they're actually an engineered solution that's been tested and tried in different areas. Um, so for example, 
one that we commonly use is RT Mini. So it's a tested solution for the climate here. Because the big thing in Canada is we get swings of 35 plus to negative 35. So huge temperature swings, which can affect that as well. So when you're looking at that, looking for that, looking for liability insurance. So making sure that they have a certain amount of liability insurance with the company. And those are kind of your main things. And then just making sure that they're accredited companies. So when it comes to reviews online, always a big one when you're looking for a company, look at the Google side of things. And what are people saying? Don't just look at hey, it's five stars. What are those actual reviews that people are saying about that company? And does it go into depths of everything when it comes to the process, not just, hey, this is a great solar system. So those okay. are kind of and the And you mentioned points. insurance though, and, and ask that, they're insure, that they insure your panels and any damage to your home. Is that Yeah, the other so thing? it's just that they have a liability insurance okay, for the work liable. itself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that would include that if, if you did eventually get water in your home damage, it would, would be covered it would be, under that? Yeah, it would be covered by their insurance company. And then obviously outside of their warranty or whatever that looks like as okay. well for the company. And is that, but it sounds, have you, you installed solar here for a long time? Has that happened to people? We have not seen anything directly. We've seen some companies, I guess, during the, uh, the incentive from the Alberta government, there was some, they went from, what was it? 15 to about 200 companies within a few months. Installers, um, installing installers. Companies. So that was, that was a big thing where there was companies, we call them fly by night kind of, uh, companies. They were coming in and creating a bit of issues. Now we don't know exactly if there was problems created for people's homes, but they were kind of, they were coming in mm-hmm. with products that weren't right. as superior to the ones that we're right. using. So regardless, you got to know what you're doing, a reputable installer yeah. that has a skilled labor force to so talk about that. Are you having trouble finding people in this environment? Skilled labor force, we work directly with Sate and Nate to be able to actually get electricians from their programs. So when it comes to the actual installs, we use only certified electricians. So a big part of that is we use the electrician with the apprentices. So getting access to them hasn't been as big of a challenge. Um, And I think it's because again, we're in an exciting industry. We have very good benefits. We offer really good culture within the company and we're able to, people want to work in this industry. People are excited about it. We're lucky enough that everybody within the company, they're, they're excited about doing what they do. And they actually, a lot of our individuals that come work with us are referrals of other people. So, hey, I work for Zeno currently. I really like what I'm doing. I want to work with them as well. So they're bringing their friends over that are then working for the company too. So it hasn't been as big of a challenge, but it's definitely something that's looming within kind of all industries, right? To try to find the right people. Okay, well, this has been a great conversation. We are going to put a link to your website in the show notes, and we want to thank you for joining the podcast. And also, congrats on your recent June 8th event. Now, Peter, I know you participated in that. Mm-hmm. It was called Zeno Lead the Charge with Solar Energy. But what's interesting about that, maybe for our listeners, is there was a video featured of the installation you had at your home. So I we're going to put yeah. a link to that video in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'm a movie star. Yeah, so see Peter, the movie star. Maybe you've only heard him. Now you get to see him too. So check out that link. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a great uh, couple of days when you did that installation. So hey, Zeno, residential solar installer here in Alberta, real success story. Kai Farian, Gershbal, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for supporting us on our journey to one million homes by twenty forty. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.